Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. I say it quite often, but it's still the truth. We are blessed because not every place you go do you feel the presence of God like the presence of God is here. He's been here every week we gather. He's been here every time we come. We take it for granted, but I'm telling you, it doesn't happen everywhere. It's not the case everywhere you go. Rejoice in this. Take advantage of this because this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And God help us to do everything we can to get everything we can out of it because it will bless our lives. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to continue on in our study in, in the book of Genesis and we're, uh, we're talking about the life of Abram right now who later becomes Abraham. And we started in the 12th chapter of Genesis. And last week, and we're going to, we'll do a little review here from what we talked about last week, and we'll continue on in this. But last week we mentioned that God, when He came to Abram, He hadn't called Abram's entire family into the covenant. He wasn't making a covenant with Abram's entire family. He had come only to Abram. And the covenant that he made was only between Abram and Sarai and God. That was it. That was supposed to be the only parties that were concerned with entering into this covenant with God. God was telling Abram in the first verse in this twelfth chapter that he had some responsibilities if he was going to enter into this covenant with God. And there were three things that he had to do. He was going to have to turn his back on his nationality. He was going to have to turn his back on his community. And he was going to have to turn his back on his family. Those are pretty big asks. Because you're severing your ties with everything that you were ever connected with. And God was telling Abram that his nationality and his community and his family all had connections to his life. But those connections were all related to his past, who he had been. And remember, we talked about the fact that Abram didn't start serving God until he was 70 years old. And according to the Scripture in Joshua chapter 24, that they were idolaters until that point. So, this was his past. And God was telling him, all the things that connected you, that, that connect you to that past, I have to have you separate from it. Those connections of who you were are gone. God wanted Abraham to connect with him so that he could become Abraham's or Abram's future. And as he becomes his future, it changes his past. But all of that could only happen apart from his family. It wasn't going to happen with his family. It had to happen 
apart from his family. All that God was requiring of Abram was in order to make him a blessing to not just his family, but to all of mankind. So what God was telling him was, this thing is bigger than you. It's bigger than your family. But what I have in mind for you is not going to just bless your life. It's going to bless your family, but it's going to bless all of mankind. This thing is huge, Abram, that I'm getting ready to bring you into. This thing is massive. You don't understand how enormous this thing is that I'm calling you into. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm asking some great things of you, but what I'm going to do as a result of this is far greater than you can even imagine. Far greater. Now, Abram was okay with the first two points of separation. He had no qualms with God about that. But when it came to his family we find that Abram was in a constant struggle with that. He was okay with moving out of his nation. He was okay with leaving his friends behind that he had made contact with. But when it came to his family, he drew the line there and he said, God, you're asking too much. I can't do this. And and we see that... Abram struggled with this consistently. When, when he left Ur, he was supposed to leave with his wife. Who did he leave with? He left with his dad and his, and his nephew as well. They go to Haran. They make it as far as Haran. And when they get to Haran, his dad dies. When they leave Haran, who goes with them? It should have been just Abram and Sarah. Who goes? Lot comes along with them. When they get into uh, this land of Canaan and they're going through it, the the uh, substance that they have collected in the process of God blessing them becomes so immense that there is not room enough for them to stay together, so Lot and Abram have to separate. That was a good thing. And Lot chooses the place that he shouldn't have chosen. He goes there, gets in trouble, and what happens? Who has to bail him out? It's Abram. It's family again that connects with them. He can't leave Lot alone because he's family. Then it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to destroy the city. We find Abram pleading with God not to destroy this wicked city. Why would he even bother with that? Because of family. He could care less about the rest of the people in that city. It was his family that was in there. And that's why he pleaded with God not to destroy the city family. When it came time for Abram to select a bride for Isaac, where did he go? Family. Abram wasn't a perfect guy. He struggled with things in his life. Anybody here perfect? Anybody here ever not have any problems? Get along fine? Do everything God wants you to do? I would love to shake your hand and find out your secret. Because I still got a lot of flesh in me that rises up and doesn't want to do stuff that God wants me to do. I still battle with stuff. I'm not perfect yet. And I won't be until I get to the other side. But neither was Abram. And I think we get this 
this convoluted concept of some of these great Bible characters that they were perfect and that, that they just made no mistakes and we could never live up to their, to, to their example. And that's baloney. They were just as human as we are. And the beautiful thing is God didn't toss them aside just because they made mistakes and just because they butted heads with God. And He's not going to do that to us either. He's very patient. He's long-suffering. And He will continue working things out in our lives until we can become the vessels that He has desired for us to be and planned for us to be from the very beginning. However long it takes Him. Some of us longer than others. (laughs) And that's the sad fact. Then we came to the part of verse number 1 in Genesis chapter 12. And there was the use of this word, unto, that was used twice in in this first verse. And we talked about the fact that this word, uh, this word unto meant to uh, move quickly, to rush into. And it's unusual that he would use that word twice in the same sentence. But he did it, I think, as a, as a means of letting Abram know the urgency of what he was wanting him to do, that he didn't want him to... A delay in doing what he was asking of him. Is it usually more beneficial or is it usually more detrimental for us to drag our feet when God's trying to pull us into something? When we're pushing back and God's trying to pull us forward, it's usually going to be detrimental to us if we don't give in and let Him pull us in and get going. Because you see, we have time to begin reasoning things out. We have time to be, to start turning things over in our mind and start trying to connect dots that we have no business trying to connect. Trying to figure out how this is going to work out because this doesn't make any sense. And before long, we've talked ourselves out of it. The longer we take, the more chance it is of us talking ourselves out of what it is God's trying to do for us. So no wonder God's trying to get Abram on, on board with him, say, come on, we've got to get going on this. I can't have you dragging your feet. We need to move now. This is important. This is a babe in Christ. This is a new guy. He's, he's just become acquainted with this God. I mean, this is not some, he doesn't know him for 70 years. He's not known him. This is brand new to him. And he can't have him thinking about, man, I don't know. This is a big ask. You know, if, if I leave this, this is going to happen. And what's going to happen to dad? What's going to happen to, you know, I, I just, all these questions begin piling up, so he has to move and get him going before he has time to talk himself out of it. Just like us. Just like us. Abram was being made to understand that it wouldn't be him, as we go on in this verse, that it wasn't going to be him who was going to be the head of this nation that was going to come through him. He realized that it was going to take too many years to produce too many heirs before he would have enough to make a nation. He wasn't going to be able to produce 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people. It was going to take time to do that. So Abram realized that this nation that 
God was talking about that He was going to produce wasn't going to happen on His watch. He was going to be involved with it, but it wasn't going to happen in His lifetime. He wasn't going to live to see it take place. And so in the process of this, God was asking Abram a question without really asking the question. And what God was asking him is, is my word, is my promise that all of this will occur, is that good enough for you? Because you're not going to see it. You're going to have to take my word by faith. That I'm going to do what I've promised to you I will do because you're not going to see it. But is that promise enough for you? Now, Abram, we're going to find out as we go through the story of his life, he lost faith in several times in his life. There were things that, that happened in his life that he did not have faith in God for. But in this one point right here, in this one unasked question that God was putting forth to Abram, he never, ever, ever doubted. He never, ever, ever lost faith. Now, he lost faith in other things, but he never lost faith when it came to the covenant. We talked about that there are times in our life when we are not going to have faith, when we struggle with it. God understands that. But when it comes to something specific, if there is a covenant that God wants to enter into in our lives, if we remain true to that covenant, if we never lose faith with God in that covenant that He's made with us, that's considered faith in the eyes of God. All this other stuff we're going to struggle with from time to time. As long as we don't lose faith in covenant. You don't lose faith in that. And that is accounted unto us for righteousness, even as it was to Abram. Was he a righteous man? He was a human. He did a lot of stupid stuff. He made a lot of mistakes. Yet God considered him righteous because he never lost faith in covenant. God help us. God help us. Because that will make all the difference. All the difference in our lives. Well, let's continue on today. I want us to open our Bibles to... Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 2. And we're going to to read that verse today. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 2. It reads, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Let's look at the first part of that verse. It says, And I will make of thee a great nation. Verse 2 begins with the portion of the covenant that covers what would be God's part of the agreement between Abram and himself. Because you see, the first 
part of that covenant was about what was expected of Abram. The second part, which begins here in verse 2, is the part of the covenant that is about what Abram can expect to receive from God. So if you remember, the, the first expectation that God had listed for Abram to fulfill, that he was required to walk away from his country, walk away from his nation, turn his back on it. He was to denounce his citizenship, as it were, to Chaldea. That would be like us being asked to denounce our citizenship to the United States. We talk about the fact that there are perks involved in that. But he was asked to sever his ties, to give up his nationality. No sooner does God get finished with his list of expectations on the part of Abram than he jumps right in with his offer for Abram. And the very first offer that he makes for with Abram is this plan that involved Abram becoming that, that beginning or that starting point, that ground floor of this brand new nation. He says, I ask you to give up your nation, but the reason I did is because I'm going to give you a better one. You see, when God asks us to give something up, it's only to give us something better. We don't see that. And a lot of times we don't believe that. But it is the truth. That's always the way He operates. If He takes something away from you, it's only to give you something better. And what He's telling Abram is, I had to ask you to get rid of something that you had hold of, but I'm going to give you something greater, something better. And that's how He starts out. And it only gets better. This nation of which God spoke would be one with a direct link to Abram's lineage and Abram's lineage alone. It was going to come through him. And God was quick to let Abram know that this nation that he was going to raise up through Abram's lineage wasn't going to be some third world, backwater place that no one would ever know about or consider or deserve any degree of importance. You know, it's just a bunch of people getting together like a family reunion. It's, that's what you're going to have. No. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. A great nation. Connected directly back to Him. Now, when, when you heard those words that God was going to make of Abram a great nation, you, you, you did something that was very normal. You had something come to your mind. You, you had something that you just kind of flashed in there that you used to try to equate the idea of a great nation. Something popped up. If it was a characteristic, or if it was if it was the United States, or whatever, there was something that came to your mind when we said "great nation." It's normal. It's normal. You did it without even thinking about it. 
Maybe you thought about it being our country. Maybe you just thought about what characteristics were going to make a nation great. Or, or you just choose something to determine what your definition would be of a great nation. In truth, a great nation can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a lot of different things. When we talk about great nations, what are some of the things that come to your mind? A miracle? What else? What are some things that you would equate with being great as far as the nation is concerned? How about powerful? You've got to be kind of powerful to be great. What else? Great in number. Blessings. I'm sorry. Compassionate. There, there's just a lot of different things. There's a lot of characteristics that we use to identify and, and, and try to define what makes something great. So, was Abram's nation going to be on par with, with say, the United States? Or was it going to be on, on par with, with the Roman Empire? Or, or you know, what, what could Abram expect to envision as, as the design for what his nation would embody? Well, I'm going to help us try to answer that last question. I looked up the word nation that was used here. And, and the original Hebrew word, and you've heard this word before, is goy. Goy. G-O-Y. Goy. And that word means a foreign nation or a peculiar nation. A foreign nation or a peculiar nation. The idea that this word here is trying to convey is the thought that this nation which Abram would bring forth would be perceived as foreign or peculiar to any other nation. And by the same token, this nation that God was resurrecting and bringing to pass in as far as Abram's lineage was concerned would also perceive all the other nations round about it as foreign. Strange, peculiar. How could that be possible? God was going to make this a nation that was going to stick out. It was going to be a nation that you couldn't miss. It'd be like a guy wearing a suit at a Willie Nelson concert. He would stick out. You couldn't miss him. That's what this nation was going to be. It was going to stick out. You couldn't hide it. It's going to be so different. And the reason it could be that way was because the hand of God was going to be involved in making this nation. Never in the history of man 
was there a nation like that which issued forth from Abram. Israel, as, as she would be called, stood out in stark contrast to every other nation when she walked with God. In her infancy, before she had become a nation, in her infancy she'd been free. But after Israel had gone into Egypt, that was Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But after Israel had gone into Egypt, eventually they became the slaves to Egypt. And that was through the evil trickery of Egypt's Pharaoh. But Israel did not remain the slave to Egypt forever. She was able to throw off the chains of this mighty oppressor without resorting to an armed revolt. In truth, it had been her God who had come to her aid and set her free from her wicked taskmasters. And it had resulted from the intervention of God through the means of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle on and on and on. The miracles, it seemed, would never cease. God would finish with one miracle and boom, another one would take place. Have you ever heard in history about another nation where they were born that way? It's never been recorded. No other nation ever started like that. Never had such a thing happened in man's history. And then as God led them out of Egypt to the land of promise which He'd given to Father Abraham and now uh, was ready to give to them, any kingdom that had dared stand in the way of her possessing her promise fell and fell hard. And the Bible tells us that fear preceded, preceded before the people so that before they ever got to the next place to conquer, they were already shaken in their boots. They were already scared to death because they had already seen the results of others who had tried to stop them and that was just, they were just pushed aside. This was a force to be reckoned with. And it never mattered how mighty those opposing kingdoms had been. She was always mightier. It didn't matter how many horses and chariots they had. God drowned all Egypt's chariots and horses. It didn't matter what armies were sent after them. They never came back. That was incredible. Now, I also looked up the word great that was used. We talked about great nation. And the original Hebrew word used there was gadol. And it means exceedingly more mighty. Exceedingly. Doesn't just say more mighty. Exceedingly more mighty. He's promising Abram that his nation would be 
would exceed in might every other nation around it. And it would prove to be exceedingly more mighty as long as she stayed true to God. Yet there had been and even would be to come other mighty nations who in their day also appeared exceedingly more mighty than all of the neighboring nations around them. Anybody here ever hear of the name Egypt? Where they had been brought out of? It was a mighty nation. Anybody ever hear about Babylonia? It was a mighty nation. How about Greece? It conquered the majority of its world in its day. What about Persia? These were all mighty nations, and they were exceedingly more mighty than the other nations around them. Was Israel destined to become just another one of those types of conquering forces found throughout history? Definitely be a possibility, except that there was a second part to the meaning of the word gadol. And that other part of the meaning had to do with the idea of being exceedingly more noble. Exceedingly more noble. Now, noble is a word we don't use much anymore. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. The dictionary says that noble is the possessing of outstanding qualities. Qualities that arise from superiority of mind, or a superiority of character, a superiority of ideals, or a superiority of morals. That's why you don't hear much about it anymore. Because it's not a popular word. Anytime you start talking about morality or character... People don't want to hear it. Because then you're trying to put things on them that they don't want to deal with. You're trying to constrict them into a certain mold that they don't want to fit. But God said this whole nation was going to be exceedingly moral. Exceedingly moral more than any other nations around her. How was Israel going to rise to such a place of exceedingly more noble or more moral character than any others? It was going to be the very laws of her nation which would set Israel so far apart from the rest of the world powers. Her laws. The laws that governed her. The source from which those laws had originated was the mind and the heart of Almighty God Himself. Is there a more noble source to be found anywhere? I think not. Who is more moral than God? Certainly isn't any man. Israel was a nation that would be set up under a strict set of moral codes of conduct. 
And she wouldn't be ruled over by a human king. That wasn't in the plan of God. That plan had to be changed because the people bellyached about it, but that wasn't the original intent of God. That's not how He originally had it set up. They were not going to be ruled by a king, by a man. When it was set up, she would be governed by her noble God, working through specially selected men, the prophets and the priests. That's who was going to rule this moral nation. God Himself was going to be the ruler of this moral nation. And He was going to share with them His ideas and His thoughts and His desires for them through these specially selected men. That was the plan of God. Never had there been a kingdom set up like this. No wonder she stood out, head and shoulders above everybody else. No wonder you couldn't hide her. What a great place to be a part of. What a great nation to claim citizenship to. Israel was indeed to be a peculiar nation among all of the nations of the world. She was going to be peculiar. Different. Different. So Abram had been charged by this Almighty God to give up being connected to a great nation, Chaldea, and that's, of course, in human terms of thought. It was a great nation. But God then told Abram that he had an even greater nation that he had waiting in the wings that was going to bring forth and rise up from Abram. And thank God that that he did continue and produce that nation. And that promise by Jehovah to Abram was in and of itself fantastic. Fantastic. But see, this is God. He didn't stop there. In fact, he was just getting warmed up. He'd only gotten started. God continued on by telling Abram that he would bless him. I'm going to make a great nation of you, but and, and you're not going to live to see that. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that's going to touch you while you're alive. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. What's the significance of that? Whenever someone would, would come into favor with, with a king or with a high ruler, that someone might be brought before this, this high authority and they would be done, it would be done so that they might be blessed. They might be blessed. Whoever the king had now regarded in a favorable light. They would be brought before the king and he would say, now I want to bless you because you have found favor in my sight. And then he would begin to proclaim what he wanted to give as an offer of blessing to that individual. Now, you're talking about somebody who has... He's the top guy. The buck stops there. There's nobody higher that that you could go to than this individual. He's got control over everything. He controls the purse strings. He controls 
what goes up, what goes down. He controls it all. And he's telling you, you've found favor, and this is some things that you can expect from me. Now, you'd have every right to believe that you're getting ready to get some pretty good stuff. Because, see, a king, if he's going to honor you, he's going to do it right. Because he wants other people to know this is what happens when you do something the king likes. So he's not going to just hand you a bologna sandwich and say, well done, pat you on the back and, you know, or shake your hand and say, you got, to, you got to shake hands with the king, so now you're... No, he's going to go all out. He's going to do something pretty spectacular because he wants other people to know when you treat the king right, this is what's coming your way. We have some examples of this conduct revealed to us in Scripture, and I want us to turn to the book of Esther. And we're going to look at Esther chapter 5 and verses 1 through 3. Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be even given thee to the half of the kingdom. She found favor and he was willing to give her half the kingdom. That's not, that's not small change. That's pretty good. Now let's read in Esther chapter 6 and verses 1 through 10. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had, had told of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king of Hazarius. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the, the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And then, of course, the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse and all everything that you said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth 
at the king's gate, let nothing fall of all that thou hast spoken. He got to be king for a day. He did. He was king for a day. That's not small potatoes either. Then let's turn to Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read verses 46 through 48. Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 48. Verse 46 says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. How often do you see a king get down off his throne and bow down before another man? Never. Too much pride. The pride of a king was humbled that day by another man. And he gave him, basically, rulership over the whole kingdom. Pretty powerful stuff. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes. And let's go on down. I'm going to skip on down here. Let's move on down to... Uh, that's, not even what I'm, that's not the one I'm looking for. I'm sorry. I don't have time to go on. But anyhow, this, this is the part where, uh, where Daniel uh, is brought before Darius and he finds this excellent spirit in Daniel. Actually, it should be down to three, one, one through three. That's it. An excellent spirit was found in him, and the king set him over the entire realm. He was going to put him over everything. Put Daniel, Daniel in charge of everything. And so, we find here that these are extraordinary things that are bestowed upon men who are in favor with this king or with this ruler. So when someone of very high status, such as this ruler, would speak of blessing they could expect to be greatly increased either through monetary gain, through land titles, through, through government positions or whatever. You could expect to receive something pretty fantastic 
Well, here we have Almighty God, the Creator and the Ruler over all things, telling Abram that he was in covenant with him. And because he was in covenant with him, it meant that this great God was intent upon blessing him. Now, if we know anything about God, it's God's good-hearted and great desire to lavish us with blessings. He's not stingy. He loves it when He can pour out blessings on our lives. He loves to do that. That's something Abram's got going for him. And there's something here in this part of verse 2 that just sort of stood out to me, and that is when the rulers had met with those who'd come into their favor and they told them they were going to bless them, they told them specifically what blessings were going to be poured out upon them. Told them, this, 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 and this I'm going to give to you. And that was it. The blessing had a limit. But you see what I, what I found here? When you look in this and, and God tells Abram, I'm going to bless you, He never qualifies what I'm going to give you. In other words, this is open-ended, buddy. The sky is the limit. What do you want? And it's unending. Anytime you want it, it's yours. Wow. And you're talking about somebody who can give it to you. He promised Abram an open-ended blessing. He could have whatever he wanted. How would you like to have the offer of an open-ended blessing from a person of power and great authority? Well, get ready, because I've got some good news for you. You happen to belong to this same God, and you're involved in the same covenant that He was involved in, and the same promise that He made to Abram is still going on to us today. Sister Oliver has been talking about it. We live below what we have rights to. What do you want, God says? What do you need? Because I've got it. And it's yours. We have been offered by God an open-ended blessing. As long as we remain in covenant with Him, it's ours. Nobody can take it away from you. No power in this world or the world to come can take it away from you. It's ours now. If we ever really wake up and realize that, watch out world. We will set this world on fire in a good way. In a good way.
We're going to stop there for today. I, I want us to just pray today that God would help us to wake up and understand what we have been given and help us to take advantage of that in everyday life. Let's pray.